wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. It's a Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for August 23rd, 2018. I am Graham Gison Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And we have a jam-packed show on tap for you fine folks here today talking everything from the past week in the world of WWE, from NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4, which yours truly was in attendance for on Saturday night, to SummerSlam, to Raw and SmackDown on Tuesday. Largely, I would focus normally on... Just take over in SummerSlam. Raw, I really won't talk too much about. We had the Shield reunion at the end of the evening, which was amazing. I'll talk more about that specifically, as well as the Finn Balor-Roman Reigns Universal Championship match, which I thought was great. The rest of the show was really just kind of like, eh, kind of disappointing for a post-SummerSlam edition of Raw. Um, But I will be going in-depth with my thoughts on SmackDown on Tuesday, if only because I was also in attendance for that event as well. Uh, My first SmackDown show in a little over a year, post-SummerSlam show, very fun time, new SmackDown Tag Team Champions crowned. It was my girlfriend's first WWE show ever, so... Glad I was able to share that experience with her, but I will be breaking down my on-site report from SmackDown on Tuesday from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, as well as TakeOver. I almost went to SummerSlam. I think I've talked about that here in the show before. I think I talked about it last week here on the show, or two weeks ago, but I really had no interest. Once it was announced that Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar would be the main event for the show, I really didn't want to be there for that. Um, I, You know, the only real reason I might have wanted to be there was if Braun Strowman was going to cash in. Of course, he didn't on that night, nor did he on Raw the next night. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't go. It would have been cool to see the Shield reunion, but I know it wouldn't have worked out. I think it worked out perfectly the way that it did with me going to SmackDown instead. But nonetheless, had a great time in Brooklyn um, both times I was there. I think it might be the last time that WWE is holding SummerSlam weekend here in Brooklyn. So I couldn't make it last year. I was, gla- I was glad I was able to make it back one last time before they transition elsewhere. I think the current rumor is Toronto for SummerSlam next year, which is really exciting. Toronto, just Canada in general, is a great place to hold the wrestling shows. Maybe not for the Montreal screw job, mind you, but like in terms of crowds and stuff like that, usually the shows are pretty good. The atmosphere is always amazing. So if that rumor is true, would love to get a plane ticket to fucking Toronto next year and go to SummerSlam there. I'd never been to a wrestling show before in Toronto. Just a baseball game and a few other things there about 10 years ago, but uh, going to a wrestling show there would be pretty awesome. There, England are on my bucket list, but Nonetheless, guys, before we get started here today, of course, you can find me on the socials on facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant on my all-new Instagram at Instagrammermina, Insta-I-S-R-I-N-S-T-A, then Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, then my last name, M-I-R-M-I-N-A. Follow me there as well. Find me on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Matthews. All the pictures and videos I took from both TakeOver and SmackDown are currently up. Um, The pictures are up on the website nextairwrestling.net. The videos are up on the YouTube channel from both TakeOver and SmackDown. So be sure to check out those videos. I got exclusive videos of Ricochet winning the NXT North American Championship, the New Day winning the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Um, just some other entrances and stuff like that. So be sure to check it out on the YouTube channel. And of course, listen to WrestleRant Radio every single week, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every archived episode dating back to October 2013, nearly five years worth of content, you get every new episode every single Thursday as they're immediately downloaded and uploaded online. They stream instantly to your uh, streaming device. 
So be sure to check that out. It is now easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio and get the new episodes every single week. Check out all the classic content dating back almost five years. So let's get started here with my takeover thoughts from Saturday. This was my sixth takeover, I'm pretty sure. I went to takeover Brooklyn 1 three years ago. Three years ago, yesterday to be exact. Had an amazing time. I have since gone to takeover Brooklyn 2, takeover Orlando, takeover Philadelphia earlier this year, takeover Chicago a few months back, and takeover Brooklyn 4. This is my third takeover this year. I've been out of the four takeovers this year, I've been to three of them. Um, that was purely coincidental. I was not planning on going to the Chicago or the Philadelphia ones. If you asked me a year ago, I was always planning to go to take over this one, um, take over Brooklyn Four, just because you know the last two Brooklyn shows I went to were fucking amazing for Takeover. So I knew I had to be there. This was another great show. Really, a wide variety of what wrestling should be all about. Um, I talked a little bit about this in hashtag Ask You Some on Wednesday on the YouTube channel, but someone asked me a question about how. NXT, is it a shining example of wrestling's appeal? And I said, absolutely, 110% yes. I mean, you look at the show alone, you had a great tag team opener, um, kind of a clash of characters with EC3 and Velveteen Dream. You had this great high-flying, high-octane, offense-filled matchup between Ricochet and Adam Colbebe. NXT North American, or rather NXT Women's Championship match. One of the best women's matches I've seen in quite some time. A lot of MMA-inspired offense in that matchup as well. In the main event, which was just an all-out brawl, very hardcore, extreme, ruthless, bad blood filled, all this other great stuff. Um, just the ruthless rivalry between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano on that last man standing match. So, again, I really, really like the show. We'll start at the top here with the NXT Tag Team Title matchup. Undisputed Eras, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong taking on Mustache Mountains, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. Part three. Their last two matches were equally exceptional. This was, I, I, don't, I would have to watch them back. I don't know where this ranks among the other three, or among the other two matches, rather. But it's up there. Um, this was another outstanding effort from both teams. And really, again, like I said earlier, what tag team wrestling should be all about. Just a frantic pace from start to finish. All action, no nonsense from beginning to end here. Um, started out a bit slow, but in like a good way that kind of built to the exciting stuff in the second half. Really never truly a dull moment here between Undisputed Air and Mustache Mountain who have truly perfected the art of tag team wrestling. Uh, we've kind of known that with Undisputed Air now for a while, even though they added in Roderick Strong, which has been a big plus for the group in light of Bobby Fish's injury. But I mean, they were great even before Strong joined the group. I mean, with Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, they are one of the best tag teams in the world right now. But Mustache Mount have really been put on the map with these series of matches. Now, we knew that Tyler Bate was amazing. I mean, the guy had a fucking match of the year candidate, if not the match of the year for WWE slash NXT in Chicago last year with Pete Dunne. But him and Trent Seven have kind of flown under the radar as a tag team since the start of the year. This has been their breakout series of matches, and they've really come to play in these matches with Undisputed Era, so which is really... Uh, Really, really cool to see. But yeah, another terrific tag team effort from these two teams. In the end, Undisputed Era successfully retaining their tag team titles. Mustache Mountain, I really hope they remain in the NXT tag team scene. Maybe not the tag team title scene. They have now lost twice to Undisputed Era. Real No no real need to do a fourth matchup anytime soon. But Seven and Bait are a great tag team. Have awesome chemistry together. Here's hoping they can uh, remain a fixture in the NXT tag team division for a while to come. After that, we had Velveteen Dream taken on EC3 in what was easily the weakest match of the night up to this point. But that's not speaking, that's not like to crap on it or to speak negatively of it. That's just to say that it was just weaker than the other matches on the show. It was all right. It wasn't bad. It was okay. It was solid. I thought it was well wrestled. It was a little bit slow. Not really as exciting as some of the other matches on the show. But it was good. Again, they had that clash of characters, like I said earlier. Um, and they had decent chemistry here. I think what really hurt this matchup more than anything was that neither guy was really fully defined as a babyface or a heel coming into this thing. Now, they did have a story. They were working out the fact that Velveteen Dream dumped EC3 in that tag team match at the NXT UK Championship special a few months back, so they had that built-in tension, but is EC3 supposed to be the face? Like, based off the vignettes that I've seen of him in NXT, I would take from that that he's a heel, but he's certainly been the babyface in this program of the Velveteen Dream. 
Uh, Dream has also been shared pretty heavily in recent months, taking on the likes of like Donovan Dijak and a few others, making you think that he could be the babyface here. So Velveteen Dream easily cheered a lot more over EC3, but that's not to say that EC3 was booed. Um, I thought he did well for himself here in what was easily one of his best singles efforts to date in NXT. It was a a really, really good match here. Velveteen Dream, in the end, scoring the clean victory, which was much needed. I like EC3. He can always bounce back. But Velveteen Dream really needed this takeover when the guy has lost now to multiple people from Alistair Black at War Games last year, lost to New Orleans, lost to Ricochet back in Chicago. He needed a big takeover win, and this was it. So I'm glad he emerged victorious. Of course, he had Call Me Up Vince written on his tights, um, on the back of his tights here. Velveteen Dream, I was wondering, like, what is he going to wear to this matchup? Because the last couple of takeovers, they've always really, I don't know, really, or he at least, has gone balls to the wall with his outfits and his attire, really wearing something that will get people talking from, you know, the MMA boxing-styled gear in Philadelphia, because they were in Philly, and he was facing Cassius Ono, which just kind of made sense to whatever he wore in New Orleans, to the Hulk Hogan-esque attire in Chicago, which was amazing. Here, I didn't really see it from where I was sitting, because obviously during the entrance, I couldn't see what he was wearing. I was all the way up top, and the Titantrons were showing his entrance video, and not, you know, not um, not him as he was making his way to the ring. So I couldn't see his tights. I knew there was something written on there. I couldn't see what it was until after the fact. Call me up, Vince. It was pretty fucking hilarious, though. Um, it seems as if he didn't have clearance from officials to have that written on his attire based off of uh, Triple H's post-match comments on Facebook in some interview he did, I believe, with Kathy Kelly, um, which is not good, but at least he wasn't seemingly furious about it. I'm sure there's no real heat in Velveteen Dream, but it's not that big of a deal. His character is kind of tongue-in-cheek anyway. I just thought it was really, really funny. But uh, I say, no way. Absolutely no way. Vince, get your hands off this man. Uh, Keep him in NXT. There's no real need to call him up right now. Be gone, Vince. Be gone, I tell you. Call him up my ass. Uh, Keep him right where he belongs in NXT. I know it might mean more money for Velveteen Dream, but uh, I would keep him right where he is just because he's flourishing right now, and I fear that either Raw and maybe SmackDown. I think SmackDown might be better to him, but then again, look at Sanity, so who knows. Um, I fear big time that he might be fucked over on the bright lights of the main roster, so keep him right where he is, at least for right now. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this a lot. After that, before we had the NXT North American Championship, we had Matt Riddle officially signing with NXT as being seen in the audience, as many of us expected. This has been rumored now for weeks. Matt Riddle is a uh, great independent talent. I think he can do big things in NXT. I didn't really have the chance to talk about it when the rumors were still running rampant as to whether he was coming or not. Um, cause just because I forgot to talk about it that week, but I will say it now though, Matt Riddle is an absolute star. I've had the chance to meet him once and see him in action on a few different occasions at a Northeast wrestling show at a progress show last year. Um, the guy is really fucking good. And for those asking like what makes him so special, what makes him stand out, just watch him wrestle. The guy's got charisma for days. Um, he's just really Really, really good, and unlike anything you'll see, the cool thing about Matt Riddle is that the guy's just not a good wrestler. He's got a unique presence about him as well. He's got that it factor. Um, people have been saying now that he should be the one to beat Brock Lesnar. Now, realistically, that wouldn't make any sense. Matt Riddle's not exactly built like Brock Lesnar, but he does have that UFC built-in background, which is cool. Um, but yeah, the guy is really, really special. Hopefully, you know, I do have my hopes that NXT will treat him right and give him the um, star treatment he deserves. But the guy is great, and I do think he can do big things in NXT. Could be NXT champion within a year if they play their cards right with these guy, with this guy. For the NXT North American Championship, Ricochet taking on Adam Colbebe in what was my favorite match of the night. Um, there were a lot of great matches on this show. If you said really any other match, maybe except for Velveteen Dream and EC3, and you said it was the best match or the favorite match of the night, your favorite match of the night, I wouldn't argue with you personally. I went with Ricochet Adam Cole. It was my most anticipated match of the weekend. I thought they worked wonderfully together. I love the clash of styles here because Adam Cole is very map-based. He's a lot like Bobby Roode where he's not the most exciting wrestler. I think he can he can do more than Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode is good. Adam Cole is just a fucking star. So is Bobby Roode, but I don't know. It's, it's a little different. Like Adam Cole just screams star regardless of what he's doing. In the ring, he's a bit more fun to watch. 
But the cool thing about Adam Kolbebe is that he can work with pretty much anybody, especially a guy like Ricochet who can ground his offense and stuff like that. Ricochet's offense very well grounded in this matchup by Adam Cole throughout at a few different points. The super kick from hell was fucking phenomenal. And I'm telling you, being there in the arena for it, you could just sense the shock on people's faces when he connected with that move. So Ricochet, I believe, went for a moonsault, like a lion salt of sorts, off one of the uh, top ropes. Not the top turnbuckle, but the top rope. Adam Cole catching him in midair with a fucking super kick right to the face, or right to the neck, I should say, to be specific. It connected beautifully and made a very loud thud. Um, you could hear it right from where I was sitting all the way up top. It was beautifully executed. It was amazing. Um, that was not enough to win Adam Cole the matchup. Ricochet went for the uh, 630, I think it's called, the 630 finisher that he does. Went for that. Adam Cole rolled out of the ring. Ricochet went after him, did some sort of dive to the outside, which was just, again, unreal. Uh, Ricochet rolls him back into the ring, hits a 630. We have a new NXT North American champion in the form of Ricochet. So, again, I fucking love this. I love this a lot. My favorite match of the night. They have awesome chemistry. I hope we see a rematch at some point because Ricochet and Adam Cole can be one of those feuds that can go on for years because that's how good their chemistry is. And just the clash of characters, too, the clash of personalities here. Adam Cole, very stuck-up, arrogant piece of shit. Ricochet, just kind of doing it for the fans and calling himself the one and only, which is not meant to sound arrogant, but there are things that he can do that no one else can fucking do based off what we saw in this matchup. The cool thing about Ricochet and he's not, is that he's not doing everything. He's not pulling everything out of his arsenal right from the get-go. Like, the guy didn't do the most crazy spot in the world in his debut match in New Orleans. Like, he's saving stuff for each show, especially the big shows that he's on, which is really, really cool. He's kind of doing more and more with each takeover that he has. So I'm glad. So he's not, like, doing the same stuff every single matchup. It reminds me a lot of Neville in that respect. Neville was still doing shit towards the end of his NXT run that we had never seen before. The guy was that good. Ricochet Neville would be amazing. Um, obviously at this point, I don't think we'll see that in WWE. Neville's so far removed from the company. He's been gone now for almost a fucking year, which is kind of crazy to think about. The guy's been under contract for a year and, um, he has still yet to be released. But nonetheless, this was really, really, uh, well wrestled. I enjoyed it a lot. Ricochet's NXT North American champion. I can buy into that. I would love to see Ricochet as the, um, the fighting champion that NXT deserves in the mid card. Kind of like a TV title of sorts. And we could see a lot of matches with him. Like, I got like Dijak, who we faced a couple months back. We could see matches like that for the NXT North American Championship. And maybe even people from the UK division as well. I know him and Pete Dunn are teaming up next week to take on Undisputed Era, which... Th- so this is where I think it's headed. So there was a video after TakeOver on the WWE YouTube channel that set up Ricochet and Pete Dunn versus Strong and O'Reilly for next week's show. Kind of like a Clash of Champions type of matchup. All four men are champions. So, we could see a situation where maybe Ricochet and Dunn tease tension or Dunn turns on Ricochet, whatever the case may be. Because where I think this is headed, because remember, our next takeover is not until Survivor Series weekend. And it's already been announced that it's going to be War Games Part 2. I think, I mean, how can you have War Games without Undisputed Era? I mean, they're a fucking three-man faction as it is. So I think it's going to be Undisputed Era versus British Strong Style, Mustache Mountain and Pete Dunne, who are obviously been, have been feuding with Fish and O'Reilly, or uh, O'Reilly and Strong now for a few months. British Strong Style, Undisputed Era, Ricochet, and War Raiders, who have been teasing that they're going after the NXT Tag Team titles in the near future as well. So that, to me, would be a great three-way War Games main event for this year's show. Um, that could be a lot of fucking fun. So... Keep an eye out for that. I think that could be the main event for this year's TakeOver. Um, TakeOver War Games, I should say, in just a few short months. So moving on to the NXT Women's Championship. Full disclosure here, I wasn't around for a majority of the match. And I'm sorry, we got into the arena late. I barely caught the pre-show, which aired this week on NXT TV, which was Deanna Perrazzo debuting against Bianca Belair, losing, but it was a really good match. Um, Bianca Belair's a star. Deanna Perrazzo, big fan of hers. Really cool to see her in NXT. Um, So that was good. We also saw Pete Dunne versus Zach Gibson for the WWE United Kingdom Championship. That was a great match. They worked wonderfully together. 
Uh, be sure to check that out on the network too. But anyway, so we got late into the arena. I barely caught Deanna Perrazzo's entrance as we were getting our seats. We were coming over from the uh, Solomonster meetup at the uh, Beer Kings Hall, I think, King Beer Hall, whatever it is, right down the street from the arena. Uh, real cool to see the Solomonster. But anyway, so I barely had enough time to get food or merchandise. Didn't buy any shirts at TakeOver. I saved my money for SmackDown on Tuesday. Um... But nonetheless, so I had to get up to go get food. Well, first of all, the fucking Barclays concessions. Now, I know concessions and arenas are very expensive. I'm not stupid. I realize that. Like, chicken fingers and fries are like $13 to $15. That's expensive. That's ridiculous. But I've come to expect that from different arenas that I've been to across the country for wrestling shows. I get it. What I don't understand is that they have one size soda and it's fucking $13. That is unreal. Now, mind you, I work at a movie theater, and our largest soda is $6.25. This might have been a little bigger than the one that I'm usually accustomed to where I work. This is like well over half of that, and it's not twice the amount of soda. Maybe a quarter more soda, but that's about it. You don't get free refills, which I never even finished the damn thing anyway because it was so fucking big. But I was like, holy shit, $13 for a goddamn soda. No thanks. Um, But yeah, I wasted most of my time in line waiting for the fucking soda and popcorn, which also wasn't great. Whatever. I paid $16, almost $30 for food for just popcorn and soda. Fucking ridiculous. Barclays got to get their shit together, which I've never seen this before. I've definitely gotten sodas and drinks before at that arena. I know for a fact that it has never been $13. So I don't know where the hell that came from. But anyway, so the point being, I missed the majority of that match between Kyrie Sane and Shayna Baszler, what I did see was really good. Um, I got to go back and watch the rest on the network. I still have yet to watch back TakeOver Brooklyn 4 in full. I've yet to watch TakeOver Chicago 2 back in full from being there two months ago. I've just been that busy. But from what I did see and from what I did hear, this was the best TakeOver women's match in at least a year. I thought the War Games 4 away with Kyrie Sane, Ember Moon, um, Nikki Cross, and Peyton Royce was really good. I thought they had a really, really good match, but I mean, it was it was pretty good. It wasn't great. Um, Ember Moon and Shayna Baszler part one was very good. Eh, you know, it could have been better. Same thing with the New Orleans match. I thought that was great, but I thought this was better. And then Baszler and Cross from Chicago was good, but just easily the weakest match of the night. This was great. I thought the story they had was awesome coming in. They were already one and one. Baszler beat Shane in an episode of NXT TV earlier on in the year, and Shane initially beat Baszler to um, win the 2016 or 2017, excuse me, Mae Young Classic about a year ago. So they were tied one win apiece. Baszler has been dominant throughout her reign as NXT Women's Champion dating back to April, beating Ember Moon, Candice LeRae, Nikki Cross, Dakota Kai, everyone who has stepped up the challenger. She has knocked them all down. So I figured that she would win again here, and then we would get Baszler versus LeRae for the belt at some point, or whatever the case may be. Um, but we did not get that. Kyrie Sane reversed uh, Baszler's choke into a roll-up, and she got the one, two, three, which led to a great reaction. So Kyrie Sane is your new NXT Women's Champion. Again, like I said earlier, this was a lot of fun. They worked wonderfully together. Um, Baszler, I would believe, is main roster bound. That's my guess. I know there's a lot of rumors right now that, you know, maybe Baszler could be the new heavy for Stephanie, and she's coming in a rival, Ronda Rousey. I think we all saw Shayna versus Ronda coming at some point, um, but it could be coming sooner than expected now, especially now that Ronda Rousey is the new Raw Women's Champion. We could see that as soon as Survivor Series or Evolution. I know Nikki Bella's been rumored. I talked about this on hashtag AskGSM. Nikki Bella versus Ronda Rousey one-on-one does absolutely nothing for me. I'm sorry, it does nothing for me at all, so... Um, they can do the match if they want to, but I do think Rousey and Baszler would be better, especially considering that Baszler's come so far as a performer. I don't know how well they would work together because they're not they're, they're two MMA women that are still relatively new to the wrestling business. So we'll see. It could be a completely different type of matchup. Um, but I think it would be a good feud, and Baszler has made ginormous strides since coming to NXT. I mean, she was good in the Mae Young Classic, but... Like I said, her matches with Ember Moon, Dakota Kai, Candice LeRae, Nikki Cross have really shown how great of an in-ring performer she has come into. Um, Tony Storm as well, a few months back at the NXT UK Championship Special. They work very, very well together. Um, 
Baszler does with the rest of the NXT Women's Champion Division, with the NXT Women's Division, I should say. She works well with pretty much everyone in that division, regardless of what their in-ring style is. And point being that she has come a long way from where she debuted. So you know the point at which she debuted, and she was still green, and she still is kind of green, but she's coming to her own as a character, and more so as an in-ring performer as well. So I could see her being headed to uh, packaged up and sent to Raw in the not so distant future. Let's just hope that the main roster doesn't fuck her up because currently it's the uh, Ronda Rousey show, which is fine. But, you know, people, you know, other really, other people aren't really given much of a chance. I know we have the Riot Squad, we have the Hawk, Huggin' Boss Connection or whatever the hell it's called, and we have Ember Moon and some other really talented women. But as of right now, it's just kind of Ronda Rousey and Alexa Bliss. So we'll see. And Nia Jax is there. She's been off TV with an injury since Extreme Rules, I believe. She should be back at some point. But yeah, I, I just hope that Chena Baszler is not messed up by the time that... And I'm not saying drunk, but I'm saying like she's not fucked up by the company by the time that she shows up on Raw inevitably. Uh, just because I think she has a lot of potential and can be a... You know, the, the, the big heel that the main roster real need, really, really needs right now. I think Alexa Bliss has been doing a great job in that lead spot, but at some point you gotta kind of refill the pot with new, fi- uh, new fresh faces and kind of uh, get some... New blood in there. And I think Shayna Baszler could fit that role to perfection. So time will tell in that regard. But we get to the main event in a last man standing match. It was Tommaso Ciampa taking on Johnny Gargano for the NXT Championship. Ciampa, the defending champion here. If I had to rank the three matches these two have had, first of all, they're among the best matches in NXT history. And just one of the best feuds in WWE history, just period. Not even NXT. Easily the best few that NXT has ever done, in my opinion. Um, and the best series of matches as well. Because it's very rare we get a takeover with three, with the same main event three times in a row. They've done it before with Balor and Joe. They main evented TakeOver London, TakeOver Dallas, and TakeOver The End. Um, and those were all really good matches, but these are way better. I thought these matches have been, again, the best that NXT has ever done. And this was no exception. I thought they made great use of the stipulation. Now, last man standing matches can be very hit or miss because of the stipulation, just because it can be really boring when they're down and out. But And the thing is, too, is that these two have worked a very similar style for the past two matches. I mean, I know this time you had to keep your opponent down for a 10 count, but largely it is the same type of match where you have to beat down your opponent and it's no disqualification because they had the unsanctioned match in New Orleans a street fight, a Chicago street fight in Chicago, and now last man standing. So three of the, you know, three essentially same matches that were very similar in stipulations, but they were all amazing. And this was no different, like I said. They took their fight all over the arena. The crowd was buying into everything they did here. Eventually, they got to the stage where Gargano replicated the spot from Chicago, the first one, where Ciampa threw him into the uh, video wall or whatever. And delivered a knee off the stage right to Ciampa's head. Now, Ciampa was handcuffed, so he couldn't get up. But he rolled off the stage, got to his feet. And Gargano couldn't get up because he hurt his knee so bad doing the dumb spot. So, Johnny Dumbass strikes again. But in all in all seriousness, I thought this was a great match. The finish was a bit underwhelming. I'm not going to lie to you. But, I don't know. I felt it was underwhelming in a good way. Because Ciampa barely survived. It's not like he decisively beat Gargano. Um, I would be open to more matches. I would give these two some breathing room before we go back to this feud. If they want to do the three-way with Gargano and Black, that's one thing. But if we get another Ciampa and Gargano one-on-one match at War Games, and Gargano, you would have to win there because otherwise he can't lose three times in a row to the same guy. So I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, I would give this some breathing room and go back to this feud at some point down the road. I still would have Gargano be the one to be Ciampa for the belt. Maybe just not right now. But again, the ending to this match was slim, semi-anticlimactic just, just because, I don't know, either people were hoping for Gargano to win or for something else to happen. It was just like, eh, that's it. Like, that was a weird finish. But again, I thought it protected Gargano really well. It made him look stupid for one thing. But um, he was hell-bent on revenge. And sometimes you aren't thinking too clearly when you're out for vengeance and not to win a championship. So it's a little different. Um, so I understand why they did it. I thought it was well executed. You got to keep the belt on Ciampa. He is the hottest heel in all of not only NXT right now, but all of WWE just in general. 
So I, I'm very happy they kept the belt on him. It was a good way to close out the show for the most part. To close out what was an excellent NXT TakeOver special. Uh, not the best I've ever been to, but that's, that's saying a lot because there's been a lot of great ones. But it's got to be up there. This was a really, really fun show um, with a number of amazing matches. So be sure to check out TakeOver Brooklyn 4. Had a lot of fun being there. Hopefully we had just as much watching it, just as much fun watching it on the network. And I find myself heavily anticipating war games in a few short months. So again, real quick before we move on, um, if I had to take a guess, the main event's going to be, as I said, Undisputed Era versus British Strong Style, Dunn, Seven, and Bait, and then Ricochet and the War Raiders. Now, like kind of filling the void that Roderick Strong and the Authors of Pain had last year. So anyway, um, going forward, also on that show, I could see Ciampa and Gargano in black if Black's good by that point, or Ciampa and Black one-on-one, the rematch. From the episode of NXT where Ciampa initially beat Black to win the belt, I could see that as well. For the women's title, I could see them getting Cena and Baszler out of the way first at Evolution. Um, Honestly, I would prefer that so we can move on to someone new by the time that War Games comes around. At that point, Kyrie Cena, Bianca Belair would make sense. Belair has been quietly been building momentum now for a long time. She's really, really good. So I could see her getting that um, championship match at War Games. No tag title match, in the, I guess, in that case. If we have the War Games match with who I think is going to be involved, then no tag title no tag title match, no UK title match, and no um, North American title match. So it's just the Women's Championship and the NXT Championship being defended. Well, we kind of got the same thing last year, so I'm not entirely surprised. Um... But still, I think that could be a really, really good show. So maybe the three-way with Gargano, Black, and Ciampa, Sane and Belair, um, the War Games match. I don't know what you do with Velveteen Dream and AC3. Maybe Velveteen Dream takes on one of the new people like Matt Riddle or, or Keith Lee. EC3 uh, maybe versus Lars Sullivan, who could come back in, at any time now, something along those lines. I know EC3 initially blamed Lars Sullivan for being the one to attack Aleister Black. So maybe that triggers a feud between those two, and they have feud going into TakeOver as well. But anyway, NXT continuing to deliver with another tremendous TakeOver. Be sure to check it out in its entirety on the WWE Network. Now, SummerSlam was not nearly as good, of course, but it was a bit better than expected. The build of the show was, again, very hit or miss. I thought SmackDown did a great job of getting me excited for their side of the show. Raw, not so much. I won't spend nearly as, uh, enough time on, on SummerSlam as I did on TakeOver just because I wasn't there, so I don't really have a vested interest in, in SummerSlam, but it was a good show. It was good. It wasn't great. It was good, though. We had a couple of very good matches, a number of championships changing hands, a couple surprising moments, nothing too, like, holy shit, like we saw on Raw and kind of on SmackDown as well, but it was still pretty good, and I am happy in retrospect I did not buy the tickets to go to SummerSlam. Um, I've been to SummerSlam twice. They were a lot like this show, where they had some pretty good matches, like one very good match I was very happy to have seen in person. In 2015, it was Rollins and Cena, and then in 2016, it was Cena and AJ Styles. Both of those matches are two of the best matches I've ever seen live. So I'm glad I went to those shows for those matches, but the rest of the show was very, very average. And this show is a lot similar in that respect, where very average... Um, a lot of things I just really would not have cared to have seen live. And it's just too long of a show. It's fucking six hours in length. The two-hour kickoff show and a four-hour a four main show? Get the fuck out of here. So, And I'm glad they didn't go the full five hours because I know there was a rumor at one point that WWE was aiming to make the big four, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, The Rumble, and Survivor Series, five hours because all the other pay-per-views now are four hours. That's an awful idea. If you want to make WrestleMania five hours because they go past the 11 o'clock mark nowadays anyway, whatever, there is no need to do that with SummerSlam or let alone Survivor Series or even the Rumble. There is no need. Maybe Rumble for four hours, I get, because now there's going to be two Rumbles with the Women's Rumble and the Men's Rumble. I get that. For the main roster, for Survivor Series and SummerSlam, it would be insanely stupid to do five-hour pay-per-views. So thank God the show did not go past 11 o'clock. Uh, real quickly, though, on the kickoff show, which was a complete waste of time, I didn't watch it before the show. I had to watch it after the fact. I got to my viewing party when the show started, so I missed these matches, and I can't really say that I missed much. 
Um, but on the kickoff show, is Andrades and Almas and Zelina Vega taking on Rusev and Lana. Almas and Vega won. They would get their win back, Rusev and Lana, that is, on SmackDown the following Tuesday. So 50-50 booking. Huzzah! Um, also in the kickoff show, Cedric Alexander successfully retaining his Cruiserweight Championship against Drew Gulak. Very good match. Um, the crowd could not have cared less because they don't watch 205 Live, but it was a good match nonetheless. And then also in the kickoff show, the B team taking on the Revival to retain the Raw Tag Team titles and what was a fine match. Wasn't necessary. I wish the Revival would have won, but I wasn't surprised because if the Revival were going to win, they would have done so on Raw last week and then given the B team their rematch on this show. But they didn't win on Raw, so they weren't going to win here. Uh, so they lost again after a slip on a banana, a banana peel type finish. So whatever. Um, but yeah, the kickoff show, total waste of time. Kicking off the actual show for the Intercontinental Championship, it was Seth Rollins versus Dolph Ziggler, part 56, or whatever the fuck it is. Thankfully, their matches are good. Like, unlike with Roman and Brock, who had a great match at WrestleMania 31, I feel like I've seen that a million times, even though it's been like four or five times. Same thing with Rollins and Ziggler. I really want this rivalry to wrap up as soon as possible. I'm hearing a rumor that it might be Rollins and Ambrose versus Ziggler and McIntyre at Hell in a Cell. God, I fucking hope not. Um, I just want the championship defended against someone other than Dolph Ziggler moving forward. I know Ziggler gets his rematch. Just blow it off on Raw. There's real no reason to drag out the feud another fucking month to do a tag team match we could just see on Raw. Um, I'm sure it would be good, but you could do it on Raw and it would be just as fine. So, anyway, Rollins did regain the Intercontinental Championship here in what was... Kind of started out slow, but it was a very entertaining opener on the whole, especially in the second half. They worked very well together. I don't know, it was by far not even close to being one of the best, greatest openers I've ever seen in SummerSlam history. But for what it was, I enjoyed it, and they worked well together, and they did what they needed to do to get the belt back on Rollins, which is what the end goal should have been the entire time. I would not have taken the championship off of him to begin with, but whatever. It was a great match anyway. Um, after that, for the SmackDown Tag Team titles, we had the New Day taking on the Bludgeon Brothers for the belts. Um, this was good. One of the better Bludgeon Brothers matches I've seen in some time. The DQ finish was pretty lame, so they started to attack the New Day and threaten to bring out the fucking mallets, or maybe they did hit them with the mallets, or something dumb along those lines. The match was good, though. I'm glad the New Day is bringing out the best of the Bludgeon Brothers. Now, I know Harper and Rowan are awesome and all. I mean, we've known this for years. Their matches with the Usos back in 2014 were fucking fantastic. But the issue was that they've been working in this dominant style where they just squash teams like the Usos and Team Hell No and Anderson and Gallows. They're not really competitive matches, like, at all. And it's kind of boring. So I'm glad we got a competitive match here. They worked the New Day stuff, and the crowd was into it. Um, it did set up a tag team title rematch for SmackDown, no disqualification. More on that in my SmackDown review. Um, Braun Strowman taking on Kevin Owens for the Money in the Bank briefcase. Owens obviously being squashed here. I know he would lose. I didn't think he would get squashed. That was the thing. I don't think anyone was really looking forward to this match anyway because we all knew that Braun Strowman was going to win. I know people were speculating, oh, maybe Owens wins and he cashes in later and Paul Heyman becomes his manager, a la CM Punk and Heyman from 2012-2013. That would have been actually really, really cool, but I would keep the briefcase on Strowman. The guy deserves a run with the world championship, so I wouldn't take that thing off of him. But um, yeah, with Kevin Owens, I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with this guy. I really don't. Um, they have a great heel in Owens, and they have been completely wasting the guy. And I love Braun Strowman, but the feud was a total waste of time. Strowman already looks strong. Having him make Owens look like a loser at every turn has not done Owens any favors in the slightest. I know he technically won the Extreme Rules match inside the steel cage. People didn't really give a shit. Owens lost. He got fucking tossed off the cage. He did not win that match. Technically, yes, but in reality, he didn't. He was off TV for like two weeks after that. So, Strowman has... It, it's been a very one-sided storyline. Owens has lost at every fucking turn to Braun Strowman. I'm ready for this to be done. I don't want to see Owens retaliate and attempt to cost Strowman the contract. I just feel like that would be a waste of time. Um, it would be a waste of the contract and the briefcase, and it would ultimately lead to Owens getting his ass handed to him again. So what the fuck would be the point? Owens just has to move on to something new and be built back up into a credible heel. Because Raw needs heels right now anyway. They really have no heels. I know that closed the show, the Shield reunion and Raw this week and all that other great stuff, but Raw, at the end of the day, does not have any fucking heels. Jinder, who gives a shit? Baron Corbin, yeah, he's a fucking loser. 
Um, Dolph Ziggler, I know, I guess they have, and Drew McIntyre, but they're kind of in the mid card at the moment. Brock Lesnar's gone. They need more credible heels, and they're not doing Owens any favors by having him get beat so decisively by Braun Strowman on a stage on a stage such as SummerSlam. So uh, I would just move on from this thing and put Owens in a feud where he can shine with a guy like Balor or something like that. Just because right now, because he's he's really not doing, he's just kind of there. The guy's a loser. He's a loser. He makes everything that he's involved in entertaining, and I understand that, and I appreciate that, but at the end of the day, he should be positioned as a threat and not a fucking cowardly ass heel. So hopefully he can be built back up coming out of this because this was very damaging to his credibility, which was already, you know, in the shitter anyway. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, it was a triple threat match. Carmella versus Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. Really not that great of a match. It was okay, um, I thought they made the most of the three-way stipulation. It could have gone anywhere. I mean, I guess I enjoyed it because any woman could have won this thing. From an in-ring standpoint, it wasn't a blow-away at all. Um, but Charlotte did lay out Becky. Becky had Carmella in the disarmor. Charlotte came in, laid out Becky with the um, bow down of the queen or whatever it's called. And that was it. And pinned, I think, Carmella, if I'm not mistaken, to win the SmackDown Women's Championship. She might have pinned Becky, I don't know, but... Anyway, point being that Charlotte is the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Afterward, her and Becky embrace. Crowd booed because they want to see something happen. Becky turns on Charlotte. Crowd goes nuts in a good way. That's the loudest pop I've heard for Becky in a long time, if not ever. And it was technically her heel turn. Now, this was not a one-night thing. Now, I know SmackDown was in the same site on Tuesday, the Barclays Center, which, again, I said I was at. So I could tell you. I mean, actually, you know what? I'll save it for that. I'll talk about the Becky and Charlotte thing in a couple minutes. But it's, it's, you know, fuck it, I'll just talk about it now. The thing with this Becky Charlotte feud, program, whatever, they're going to have great matches. It's the biggest feud they can do right now. Carmella sucks. I'm glad they took the championship off of her. And this is nothing new. This is not rocket science. But Becky and Charlotte are completely miscast in their current roles. Becky as a heel is fine. Um, I think she's going to be a lot like Sami Zayn where she's a natural baby face. It's a lot easier to like her than it is to hate her. But she's going to roll with it and do a great job as a heel. Look at Sami Zayn. The guy went heel when he didn't really even need to, but he became one of the most entertaining heels on SmackDown. Hopefully we could see something similar with um, with Becky Lynch. Her promo on Tuesday was amazing. The logic was there. Her reasoning for turning on Charlotte was sound. It was logical. I don't get what they're going for here. I don't fucking get it at all. Um, because Charlotte, it's so easy to not like her just in general, but based off this story, she came in when she didn't really deserve an opportunity at the belt in the first place. She won the belt from her best friend. I know Becky wasn't the champion, but Becky should have won the championship, and she came close anyway. Charlotte won it from under her nose. And of course, Becky will be frustrated, but really, at the end of the day, people want to side with Becky because she's a genuine underdog, and people like her, and they want to root for her. Charlotte is a natural heel. So... The roles here are all reversed. They should be reversed. It's all fucked up. Um, Becky got a great reaction on Tuesday. Great babyface reaction. Some people booed her, but it was largely it was largely um, Becky who was cheered here over Charlotte. Charlotte came out to a chorus of boos. The brawl was great. I enjoyed it. Like I said, their matches could be amazing. We know this based off their feud from a few years ago when they feuded over the Divas Championship. And again, at that point, it was Charlotte as the heel and Becky as the babyface. And maybe in their mind, we've seen that before, we can't do that again, because Charlotte and Becky were friends with Team PCB, and then Charlotte turned on Becky. So that, that was how that whole feud started. That was really how Charlotte went heel on the main roster, was by turning on Becky. And she became one of the best heels in WWE that year. So again, maybe they're thinking, oh, we've seen this before, we can't do it again, so we got to reverse the roles. I get for something new, I understand that, but that was two years ago. Um, we could always see it again. I just think Charlotte as a babyface just doesn't work. It really doesn't. So again, maybe it's a Brooklyn thing. Maybe fucking Nashville, Tennessee will be different. Maybe Omaha, Nebraska will cheer Charlotte over Becky. But currently, they are totally misgassed. And it should be the other way around with Charlotte as the heel and Becky as the babyface. But at the very least, we know the matches are going to be great. I would wait until... I mean, I'm sure they're going to do a match at Summers at uh, Hell in the Cell. They are giving Carmella her uh, contractually obligated rematch at um, next week on SmackDown and not waiting until the pay-per-view, which is good. I really have no desire to see 
Charlotte and Carmella again at the event, like backlash, which was terrible. Um, that being said, though, I think they can do another big match at Evolution, maybe even headline Evolution. I could see Ronda Rousey headlining, of course. Uh, that would not surprise me. But Becky and Charlotte right beneath that for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Maybe Becky, losers are cool at Hell in a Cell, gets DQ'd, and then Becky wins the belt at Evolution. Whatever the case may be, I think their series of matches coming up, regardless of the roles they're currently in, are going to be some barn burners. So get ready for that. Also at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship, AJ Styles defending against Samoa Joe in what was, again, one of my favorite, if not my favorite match of the night. Um, this was not your typical all-action wrestling match, like, you know, what you would expect from Joe and AJ or what you probably wanted from Joe and AJ. But the thing here with this match is that they've told a great story coming into the event about Joe targeting AJ's family and AJ being out for revenge. So they kind of escalated that here. The match was great. You could, you could sense the um, the animosity they had for each other in this matchup. Of course, in storyline, not legitimately. Um, and the DQ finish? I mean, first of all, doing a DQ on a pay-per-view is dumb anyway. Doing two DQ finishes is really fucking lazy when it comes to the same brand anyway. They're both SmackDown matches and both ended with DQs. First, the tag title match with New Day and Bludgeon Brothers, and now this shit. But this one didn't upset me. Because I thought it was really well done. The crowd popped for it for AJ beating the shit out of Joe after Joe what after what uh, Joe said about AJ's wife and kid, who were right there at ringside. I thought this was excellently, ex- excellently, excellently, excellently executed. That's a tongue twister. Um, the whole angle was awesome. AJ was great here. Joe was great here. Even the family was like awesome as well. The the acting didn't feel like shit. The, the daughter was like, oh, daddy, you're bleeding or whatever, because Joe was, or AJ was bleeding from some shot that he took to the face. So it was really well done. Made me extremely excited for a rematch. Likely at Hell in the Cell, inside Hell in the Cell. That's where I would put the belt on AJ, to, not to, to, to be honest with you. I think Joe is uh, ready for a run with the strap, and it could come as soon as Hell in the Cell. And if not, they could always do Joe, or AJ and Randy. They could always do AJ and Brian. Um, you can always do that stuff without the championship being on the line. I just think Joe and AJ make sense. I really do. I just think Joe winning the belt is logical and it's his time to become champion because this work in recent weeks has been fantastic. The guy is definitely deserving of a run as WWE champion come hell in the cell. The Miz and Daniel Bryan also facing off on the show in what was a great match. No crowd heat for the most part, which was really strange. Maybe because it was coming off of the Joe and AJ match, so... Kind of uh, kind of stupid to put this right after the WWE title match. But I feel they worked really, really well together. They've always had great chemistry. Just very smooth transitions and stuff like, th- stuff like that. It would have been better with more crowd heat. But for what it was, it was an awesome match. No pun intended. Miz did cheat to win the match, which I expected he would. Uh, Miz winning was the most logical. Brian really gained nothing from beating Miz this early in the feud. So I'm glad Miz won. They can always hold off on Brian getting his win back. They won't hold off till WrestleMania. And ideally they should, but they'll likely do it in the next and fucking next week on SmackDown or whatever. Um, but I like this a lot and the involvement of Maurice helping Miz win played into what we saw on Tuesday, which again I'll get to momentarily. But again, really, really good stuff here. Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. No one gave two shits about this match at all on paper. So I'm glad they did with this what they did because Baron Corbin comes out and instead of getting, you know, regular old Finn Balor, gay pride Finn Balor, we got Finn Balor the Demon, his first appearance as the Demon since TLC last year. And it's been a SummerSlam tradition now. He debuted and it didn't debut, but um, he had his first match as the Demon on the main roster at SummerSlam 2016, beating Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. He wrestled last year beating Bray Wyatt no, no, actually, no, he didn't wrestle as the... Did he wrestle as the Demon? I think he... Pretty sure he did wrestle as the Demon last year, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty sure... Yeah, he did wrestle as the Demon at SummerSlam last year, and he beat Bray Wyatt this year. Same thing, beat Baron Corbin in like a minute and a half. Squashing Constable Corbin as he needed to. An actual match did nothing for anyone, so I'm glad they had Balor go in there, get his shit in, and leave. The crowd ate this shit up. They weren't chanting, this is awesome for the match. That much was obvious. That much was apparent. It was obviously for the appearance of Finn Balor, or uh, of the demon Finn Balor. So I would not bring back the demon on a full-time basis, of course. I would bring him back more regularly than fucking one time a year. Um, Maybe just save it for the big shows, like the pay-per-views. Not every 10 months. I think that's a bit bit ridiculous. But still, I thought this was really entertaining. 
with the return of the demon. And hopefully the guy can maintain momentum finally. I know you got a Universal Championship match the next night on Raw. Um, obviously him and Roman will not be the direction they're going in into Hell in the Cell. But yeah, Balor should um, hopefully get a boost coming out of this. Because the guy desperately needs something to sink his teeth into. That's not a boring-ass feud with Baron Corbin. Or trading wins with Elias or some dumb shit like that. For the United States Championship, Shinsuke Nakamura successfully retaining against Jeff Hardy. The match was good. Um, I think taking place so late in the show did them no favors. People didn't really care. Nakamura winning was very obvious. People were waiting for interference from Randy Orton. It never came. The guy was persona non grata on the show for whatever reason. Hardy losing clean. And that was it. It was a good match, but it was nothing to write home about. And Jeff Hardy doing the swanton off the top rope onto the ring apron, missing Nakamura, was really, really stupid. For a guy that's reportedly as beat up as he is, having him do a fucking swanton, whether it was his move or the producer's call, whatever, I don't know whose idea that was, but it was really stupid. If it was Jeff's idea, that's pretty dumb. The guy is as beat up as it is. Having him go out there and do that move onto the apron is really, really stupid. So, again, I would uh, not have done that, but the match was good, though. Kind of a waste, but it was good. Raw Women's Championship match was exactly what it needed to be, with Alexa Bliss losing to Ronda in a matter of a fucking minute, or a few minutes anyway, with Alexa Bliss running away, getting caught in the arm bar, um, and Ronda Rousey winning in clean fashion to become Raw Women's Champion. This should not have been a competitive contest. Um, Alexa Bliss is no threat to Ronda Rousey. This should have been over quickly, and it was. This was perfect. People are not going to be happy about Bliss getting buried, quote-unquote, but it is what it is. You have to do what you got to do to get the belt on Rousey. There really weren't many other ways to do that without having her squash Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss, at the end of the day, is not a physical threat to Ronda Rousey in any way, shape, or form. So you had to book this way that they did. And now we have a new Raw Women's Champion in the form of Ronda Rousey. Um, speaking of Alexa Bliss, real quick, it was announced on Saturday right after TakeOver. We saw the graphic in the arena before TakeOver. It looked real then, but it was made official by WWE.com after TakeOver on Saturday. Saw it on the subway sitting down on my way back from Barclays. But at Evolution, it's going to be Alexa Bliss taking on the returning Trish Stratus. So, kind of a disappointment. I know Alexa Bliss is like the modern-day Trish in WWE's eyes, they look a lot alike. As a match, I honestly don't think it'll be that good. Maybe semi-enjoyable slash entertaining, but I don't think it'll be that good from an in-ring standpoint. I would have rather seen Sasha versus Trish or Charlotte versus Trish or even Bailey versus Trish. Really, anyone versus Trish for the most part than Alexa Bliss. But I see why they did it. It's a big match. People like Alexa. Obviously, people know Trish. The fanfare around the announcement should have been a lot bigger than what it was. They announced it on social media after a fucking takeover. Now, I guess they figured... What I'm thinking here is that they had the match, you know, booked and whatever for the pay-per-view. And what ended up happening was that they leaked it in the announcement in the arena. Because they were selling... What they did was that they put the tickets on sale for Evolution at Barclays. So they put the graphic for the match in the fucking video spoiling it by accident, and they figured it was going to get out anyway, so they announced it on social media. I would have waited until Raw. I think it would have been cool if we had Alexa Bliss come out and call out Ronda Rousey, and Trish comes out instead. Now, that would have been a really cool angle. At this point, I'm not even really looking forward to it just because of how they announced it in the match on paper. So, hopefully it heats up between now and then. It's not for another two months, but I just wanted to point that out. I'm looking forward to it to an extent, but the fanfare surrounding the announcement was almost non-existent, and that's really frustrating considering who we're talking about here. One of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time with um, Tristratus. So again, maybe it'll heat up in the next couple months, but I thought from day one, it was not built up or advertised or treated. I don't think the announcement was given was given the um, recognition or treatment or reaction that it should have been. Main event time, Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar defending against Roman Reigns for the upteenth time. It's over. It's finally fucking over. Vince McMahon has finally decided to have Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar. And um, yeah, that was it. The match was better than I thought it would be because of Braun Strowman, though. So what they did here, because they knew that if they had the actual match, people would shit all over it. That's not surprising. So what they ended up doing instead 
was have Braun come out before the match and say, as soon as this match is over, I'm going to become the WWE Universal Champion, whatever. Get these hands. I'm going to cash in. And I'm not going to do it during the match. I wouldn't do it, you know, without my opponent knowing, whatever. So what they did during the match, Braun Strowman was standing ringside the entire time. So he got knocked down by Roman. He got knocked down by Brock, who gave him like a number of chair shots, threw his briefcase up the stage, gave him an F5. Braun was down and out. So Braun never ended up cashing in. Roman did win with one spear, which was shocking, considering that they've had him kick out of so many in the past. But yeah, one spear from uh, from Roman Reigns, and it was over, which was really weird. But anyway, new Universal Champion. I'm not really sure what to say other than that. I thought they did a good job of booking it to kind of swerve people, to make people think that Braun was cashing in so they wouldn't shit on it as much. They did anyway. I mean, they still booed Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar both, chanting, both guys suck. Uh, not a great reaction for your SummerSlam main event, but again, they, it was damage control with Braun. They, it was smart. I don't think anyone was thinking that they would do what they did. So, um, you know, good on them for figuring out a way to have your main event, do what you set out to do and giving the belt to Roman, and not having people shit all over. People were still unhappy coming out of the show, but it would have been a lot worse if they booked it differently. Overall, a very average show. Like I said, it was good. Far from great. Uh, definitely better than last year. I had more matches I thought were memorable and enjoyed more than last year. But this was still a good show. Best matches of the night have had got to have been Joe and AJ, Miz and Brian for sure, um, Rollins and Ziggler, easily the top three matches of the night. A lot of squashes. Rousey and Bliss, Balor and Corbin, Strowman and Owens were all like con- just connect uh, consecutively or what? Not consecutively, collectively I should say. Like five minutes long. Um, I mean, but they did it the right way because Rousey beating Bliss should have happened quickly. Balor beating Corbin was a fucking blessing in disguise, the fact that it was like 90 seconds. Strowman and Owens, no one cared about anyway. Why bother booking the match? Because it made Owens look like shit and getting squashed by Strowman. But again, it was a match no one cared about, so having it go short and sweet was, maybe not so sweet, was for the best. So SummerSlam is good from Raw. Again, nothing really to say about the show. It was really just a show with the exception of the opening and closing segments. Roman Reigns came out, and um, as the new Universal Champion said that I'm going to be a fighting champion, I'll take on all comers. Out comes Finn Balor, the same man who vacated that same championship in that same building after the same pay-per-view two years ago. I was there for that. He finally cashed in his rematch on the show. Roman Reigns was open to the idea of giving him a title match. They had their match. It was excellent. I liked it a lot. They work wonderfully together. Uh, Roman Reigns did win in the end after, almost by a distraction, Balor almost won, um, and Braun Strowman almost cashed in, but he didn't, um, he was about to, so Roman wins the match, Balor rolls over to ringside, Braun's about to cash in, but before he can, before the bell rings, we hear, Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, The Shield, The Shield comes out to a great reaction. No one was expecting this. I lose my shit watching at home. I'm watching that girlfriend. She's losing her shit. She's a big Shield fan. No one saw this coming. They take out Braun Strowman, lay him out with a triple powerbomb at the commentary table. And finally, I have interest in the Universal Championship picture. I haven't for a long time now. Maybe ever. But I finally do now that The Shield is back together and Braun Strowman is in the driver's seat um, as the new number, seemingly the new number one contender to that championship. So this was awesome. I really, really enjoyed this. I thought it was great. The Shield is back together. And they are uh, riding high on Monday Night Raw once again. So what's the end game here? Where is it going with The Shield? Who turns on who? How long will it be a thing? I was just thinking before I started recording, honestly, I would keep them together until you call up Undisputed Era. I would call up Undisputed Era, do that match, and then break up The Shield. Now, granted, that might not be for a while. They might not get called up until after WrestleMania. So it kind of sucks because um, they really want that match now and the Shield might not be together for a long time anyway. I would keep them together for more than a month. I'll say that because we had the Shield reunion for like a month or two last year and then Ambrose got hurt. And even before he got hurt, they weren't really doing their Shield stuff together anyway. They weren't wearing the vest or coming out to the music. It was kind of stupid. So um, I would go back to doing the full-fledged reunion for the time being. And um, yeah, I would just do that for the time being and have I would call up Undisputed Air and do that three-on-three matchup at some point, maybe the night after WrestleMania, and that's when you have Ambrose. Like, what if on the night after WrestleMania, not even a full-fledged feud, but you do Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose versus Adam Cole, baby, Roderick Strong, 
and Kyle O'Reilly or Fish if you want to throw him in there, whoever. You do that three-on-three match the night they're called up on Raw. The night after WrestleMania. And then they win because Ambrose turns. Uh, or maybe they win clean and then Ambrose turns on Reigns and Rollins. That would be pretty cool. Um, but I don't think they'll do that. They won't wait that long. They'll probably break him up sooner than that. One of these guys is going heel in the near future. Obviously, it won't be Reigns. It shouldn't be Rollins. It'll likely be Ambrose. Ambrose needs a heel turn regardless. But at least we get the Shield reunion first. So, again, I love the ending to Raw. And I'm looking forward to next week, if only to see what they do next. And quickly, before we go off the air here, my on-site report from SmackDown on Tuesday. Really fun show. Like I said, my girlfriend's first WWE show live. She really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as well. We kicked out the show with Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella, who returned, taking out the Miz and Maurice, announcing that at Hell in a Cell, it's going to be a mixed tag team match. Bryan and Brie versus Miz and Maurice. Great way to further that feud. Brie Bella has not wrestled since the Women's Rumble back in January. Before that, not since WrestleMania 32 when she initially retired. Gotta give props to Maurice. She just had her baby like three or four months ago, already looking amazing again. She was already great looking anyway, even while pregnant, but like she's already back to being in great shape, presumably, and is gonna be wrestling come Hell in the Cell next month. That's pretty impressive. But that angle was really well done. I thought it was a great hot way to kick off the show. Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy had a good match. They could do better, but this was good. Um, in the end, Jeff Hardy gave Orton some comeuppance by low-blowing him, getting DQ'd in the process. Orton won the match, but that wasn't it. Hardy and Orton brawled into the crowd over to the production area. Hardy doing a swanton off the top of one of those production boxes. Great spot, really cool to see live. And uh, again, Orton getting a, a measure of comeuppance on the show at the hands of Jeff Hardy, likely leading to a rematch at Hell in the Cell next month. Peyton Royce taking on Naomi and the resurfacing of both these women. The Iconics have been on TV, just not regularly. Naomi, I cannot tell you the last time that she was on SmackDown. This was a decent match. I really did not care too much about it at all. My girlfriend even turned to me halfway through like, to be honest, I don't really care about this match. And I'm like, yeah, you don't really need to. She liked the Naomi entrance. Didn't really care too much with the Iconics. Um, but yeah, this was just kind of there. It was a decent match. I'm glad Peyton won. They need some measure of credibility. I don't know where they're going with it. Maybe Naomi gets a tag team partner at some point. Um, maybe they call up Nikki Cross. So I could see that happening. But anyway, um, I thought this was good. It just kind of, a, I don't know, just kind of pointless. The crowd heat wasn't really there, but it was all right. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch brawled. I talked about this earlier, but Becky's promo this week was great. Even when she dug into the audience and kind of ran down the fans for not being behind her. They still cheered her. They, they still cheered her anyway. Charlotte getting unanimous boos for the most part from the Barclays Center. Um, large, loud, heavy boos for the SmackDown Women's Champion. Great angle there, likely, as I said, facing off at Hell in the Cell for the SmackDown Women's Championship. In a rematch from the SmackDown, or rather SummerSlam kickoff show, Rusev and Lana beating Andrade and Almas and Selena Vega. This was fine. Uh, better than the SummerSlam match, not by much, but it was okay. Um, Almas was about to cheat. Aiden English prevented that from happening. Rusev and Lana win. Him, Lana, Aiden English, they're all back on the same page. Huzzah! Hooray! Um, and that was that. Samoa Joe attacked AJ Styles. Uh, this was really well done. A, a short and sweet interview from AJ responding to the actions of his from SummerSlam. Joe ambushed him from behind on the interview set that was on the side of the stage. Looked ruthless here. And like I said earlier, the time is now to pull the trigger on a WWE Championship win for Samoa Joe. Then the main event, a no disqualification match for the SmackDown Championship, the SmackDown Tag Team titles, the New Day knocking off the Bludgeon Brothers, and a really fun match, easily the best Bludgeon Brothers match I've seen since they reunited late last year, Harper and Rowan. The story here was that apparently Rowan got hurt at SummerSlam in the Tag Team title match, so I'm, I'm sure the plan was to get the belts on the New Day eventually anyway. They probably just sped up the process and did it here, which was fine. I mean, Brooklyn, they won their first tag team titles or their second set of tag team titles kicked off their longest reign ever back in 2015, which would not end until December of 2016. Um, but yeah, Brooklyn has always been very kind to New Day. I'm glad they won the belts back here. Very happy to have seen it in person. The match was a lot of fun. Hopefully this breathes new life into an otherwise stagnant SmackDown tag team division. And that does it, guys, for my review of SmackDown Live, Raw, SummerSlam, and NXT TakeOver, all emanating from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn this past weekend, like I said. Had a great time at both SmackDown and TakeOver. Next year, I'll be at WrestleMania. Maybe SummerSlam, if they go to Toronto, that'd be really cool to check out. But right now, all sites are set on going to WrestleMania. Rumble might be a possibility, we'll see. 
but I'll likely save up for um, WrestleMania weekend next year, which is going to be in the New York, New Jersey area. How can it not go? It's basically my backyard. I know I live in Connecticut, but it's the closest WrestleMania will ever be to me. So I might as well go. Looking forward to it. It should be a ton of fun. So again, guys, thank you for checking out the show. As always, I appreciate it. Like I said earlier at the start of the show, be sure to find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook as well, facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. Find me on YouTube. Subscribe to my channel there at youtube.com backslash C backslash graham.gsm.matthews. And finally, nextairwrestling.net. In addition to my Instagram, at Instagram, Ramina, I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. But yeah, the website, nextairwrestling.net, my full written reviews of everything I just talked about, in addition to 205 Live, which I had to catch a train, I couldn't stay for. It sucks, because the main event was one of the best ever in 205 Live history. Um, But I had to catch a train back, I had to work the next morning, I was still exhausted as it was. I did not go to bed until 2.45 that night. Um, it would have been even later if I stayed for 205 Live, so, like, significantly later. But that show was great. I watched it back on Tuesday night, or Wednesday night, rather, um, just last night. So it was a really, really fun show. Wish I could have been there for it. My full written review up right now at nextdaywrestling.net, as well as Raw, SmackDown, TakeOver, SummerSlam, Impact, Ring of Honor, Lucha, NXT Main Event. You get my drift. Also, check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio on nextdaywrestling.net. In addition to on iTunes, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcast. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also got every archived episode dating back nearly five years to October of 2013. So with all that being said, guys, we'll be back next week to talk all the latest happenings in the world of wrestling right here on WrestleRant Radio. Until then, have an awesome rest of your week and weekend. I'm Graham G. S. Matthews. And I'll catch your ass down the road.